Good morning, Westgate. If you'd like to stand and worship with us, that would be so exciting. Good morning, church family. How are you today? 
That feels really loud. <laughs> um, if we can turn that down just a bit. Uh, hey, it is good to be here worshiping with you guys today. Uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Rob Zimmerman, uh, lead pastor here at Westgate, and we are so thankful uh, that you are here with us today. I especially want to welcome you if you are a first-time guest. Thank you for uh, joining us. We have got a great morning of worship that is planned. We would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you, and one of the great first ways to get connected here at Westgate is to fill out the connection card that you will see in the pew in front of you. And so if you would take just a moment to grab that card, I'd encourage you to take a moment and fill that out. And then uh, at the uh, close of our service, if you're a first-time guest, you can actually take that out uh, to our main lobby. And we have a guest center that is there. We have a small bag of gifts that we would love to give to you that also has a lot of information about the church and how to get connected and some hosts that would love to answer any questions that you may have. So please be sure uh, to stop by at the end of our service service today. As well, regular attenders, uh, use that connection card as well to update us on your information. If any uh, information from address, phone numbers, emails have changed, but also if you have any prayer requests, our team loves to be able to pray for you uh, each and every week. So please be sure uh, to do that. And uh, you can also turn those in in the buckets in the back uh, as you leave today. Uh, one thing that I want to make sure you're aware of that is going on today, we have got a new people party that is happening uh, at the end of the second service in our refinery across from uh, just across the atrium. And if you have been new to Westgate, whether it's today or in the past few weeks, months, or if you've been here for, you know, 20 years, but you've never come, but you want to hang out with the staff, come on and join us. Uh, and it's a great time as we uh, have the opportunity to meet people that are here and newer to Westgate Chapel. And uh, we're going to have a great lunch together. I think we have over 30 people that are already registered, but if you haven't registered, you can still come and join us. So please be sure to stop by. It's about an hour in length and just a great time of fellowshipping together. So we'd invite you to that. As well, there are a lot of great things that are happening around the church, uh, and we want to make sure that you are aware of two things. So watch this short video. Good morning. Welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Adrian, and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you're looking for some high-energy events to chase away the winter blahs, don't miss these opportunities coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, mark your calendars for a spectacular Sunday morning. On February 11th, prepare to be amazed at Westgate Chapel's Ministry Fair. Step right up and immerse yourself in the wonders of our incredible ministries. Join us after both services and journey into the atrium. Behold the marvels that await you as you indulge in delectable fair foods that will tickle your taste buds. Marvel at the spectacular booths showcasing each of our ministries. A dazzling array of opportunities awaits you. Whether you're a daring newcomer or a seasoned member of the Westgate Church family, the Ministry Fair is your ticket to a world of connection and excitement. For more jaw-dropping details, check out our Westgate app or visit the events page. The countdown to the Ministry Fair has begun, and we can't wait to welcome you. 
Mark your calendars and make plans to join us for a night of worship February 23rd, 6 to 7.30 p.m. You're invited as we worship together through song, scripture, and prayer. And for the first time ever at Westgate, we will be doing a live recording of Westgate original songs and other favorites. Invite your neighbors, your friends, and your families for a night of worship and fellowship. Once again, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're glad you are here. Enjoy the service. Those are two great ways to get connected here at the church, and so we would love for you to make sure you join us next week for that ministry fair. Uh, and again, we would just love for you to look for those opportunities to be connected. Uh, I would love for us to take just a moment now to uh, greet one another, and so I'm going to invite you to stand on up, turn, and find somebody you haven't said hello to and welcome them to our service today. that we called sin and shame they were like prisons that we couldn't escape but he came and he died and he rose those walls are rubble now remember those giants we called death and grave they were like mountains that stood in our way, but he came and he died and he rose. Those giants are dead now.
Father, we, uh, we give you thanks and praise and all the glory this morning. Uh, you are good in every season of our lives, God, through the good and exciting and the joyous times, and yet even in the dark and difficult times, you continue to be good because you have given us your son and you've promised that you always be with us and that you are always accomplishing your greatest purposes for our lives. Thank you, God, for being so intimately involved with us in our lives, for loving us the way that you do. Father, we, uh, as part of our worship this morning, not only do we sing and give, uh, give praise to your name, but we also worship through the giving back of our tithes and our offerings. Lord, the work that you have done in us and continue to do in us is something that we wholeheartedly desire to see you continue to do in the lives of so many other people. So as we give our offerings this morning, Lord, our prayer is that you would multiply them, that you would use them, God, in order to reach more people with the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, and that your name would be lifted up and glorified. And we give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our morning offering. So as you are seated, if you're sitting on the center aisles, you can grab the offering buckets and begin to pass those out to the sides as we continue in a spirit of worship together. things that I really love about Westgate Chapel is that all of you are so incredibly generous and generous in so many different ways. Uh, this past Christmas season, uh, one of the things that we did as a church, we had a number of opportunities to serve people in our community. And, and one of the drives that we did was to uh, uh, collect winter coats together. Some of those went out uh, to a local elementary school to help meet the needs of some kids and families in our community. But also, uh, we had a number of those coats that went out to uh, international students, uh, to people with the Center for International Studies and Programs at the University of Toledo. And uh, this is just an incredible ministry that we have had as a church for a number of years. But uh, giving those coats is a significant way that we have had to be able to care for international students that are coming into our community from all around the world. And this past week, uh, one of the people from that ministry sent in a, uh, or from that organization, if you will, at the University of Toledo, sent in a thank you video. And so we want to play that for you now. So receive the gratitude this morning uh, from this group. Let's watch together.
Your family and friends from the Westgate Chapel. On behalf of the Center for International Studies and Programs, I want to express our deepest gratitude for your generous donation of winter clothes every year. Your kindness and thoughtfulness have warmed not just our bodies, but also our hearts. The winter season in Ohio can be particularly challenging for international students who come from warmer climates, and your contribution will make a significant difference in ensuring that everyone feels comfortable and protected during the colder season. Your commitment to supporting the well-being of our students, especially those far away from home, is truly inspiring. We are touched by the sense of community and compassion that your church embodies, and we feel blessed to be recipients of your kindness. As we hand out these winter essentials to our international students, we share not only the warmth of the clothes, but also the warmth of your generosity and caring spirit. It truly makes a difference in their experience here in Toledo. Once again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your invaluable contribution. May your kindness be returned to you many times over. Wishing you a wonderful new year filled with love, peace, and happiness. Thank you, and go Rockets! That's so great. Thank you, and go Rockets. I love that he slid that in there at the end. Uh, just, uh, you know, what I love uh, was the story that was told, too, that when they began handing out those jackets, that they were snapped up and gone almost immediately. And uh, it is one way that we have had the opportunity to care for uh, international students and scholars in our community. And so uh, even though he said thank you, I want to say thank you to you for being such a generous church and caring for our community well so that they can experience the love of Jesus. Now, as, uh, as he was talking about when uh, the winter season, I want to ask uh, you this morning, how many of you have loved this winter season so far that we are experiencing here in Toledo? Anybody raise their hand? It's been a little unseasonably warm. I mean, we had a pretty cold spell, but uh, I think it's supposed to get up to 50 this week. Uh, yeah, man, man, thank you, Jesus. Like, the, the end is near, people. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this question. How many people here like a good winter where it's cold, snow on the ground? How many people love a good winter? All right. Way more than the first service. How many of you wish that we would just experience a season of 70 degrees year-round? It would be sunny, no clouds, right? All right. Hisses and boos. Man, you guys are divided. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's interesting when you think about the different seasons and, and, and what we typically enjoy, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that there are seasons in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 uh, says it to us this way. It says that there is a season and that there is a time for everything. That there is a time to be born, a time to die. There's a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. It talks about in scripture how in life there are many different seasons that we experience. And there are also people in our world that would look at the natural seasons of uh, summer, spring, winter, fall that we experience and also relate them to the seasons of life that we walk through. Some would say that the spring is a representation of a season of our lives where there is hope that brings new things into our life, renewal or rebirth. 
Some people would say that the summer season is like a season of celebration, a season of excitement, of hard work, of feeling satisfied. Other people would relate our lives and and the seasons we go through to that of the fall, a season of climbing, a season of building, maybe even a season of exhaustion. But winter always seems to get the bad rap because the winter season is often associated with things that are hard, seasons in our life that are difficult, or we're lonely, or experience great sadness, or even despair. And as we think about winter seasons in that regard, last week we began a new series together that we'll be continuing in for the next many weeks entitled, Why? Trusting God When You Don't Understand. Pastor Steve launched us into this series in the book of Habakkuk where we begin to think about and wrestle with the winter seasons of our lives where we face difficulty and hard circumstances that often can leave us in a place where we're saying to God, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Or God, where are you in the middle of this? As we looked At the beginning of Habakkuk, and Pastor Steve got us into chapter one last week, we see that Habakkuk's chief complaint was this. You can fill this in if you've got your notes and you're following along with me this morning, but Habakkuk's chief complaint was, how long will you not hear my cry? Now, just to remember a little bit of context, Habakkuk was a prophet who was living during the time of the exile of the nation of Israel. You'll remember that uh, the nation of Israel had been split into two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. Israel on the top, Judah in the south. And the nation of Israel in the north had already been exiled because of their rebellion against God. God had allowed the kingdom of Assyria to come and to basically take them off to conquer the northern kingdom and to take them off into exile. And what we have here is Habakkuk speaking uh, in kind of the intermediary time between the northern kingdom being taken away and the southern kingdom continuing, but in a place of peril. You see, Habakkuk's complaint is this, is that God's people, the, the people of Judah, have abandoned living righteously for him, even though they've gone through sweeping religious reforms just 12 years prior with King Josiah. You see, they had been, like the northern kingdom, worshiping other gods, walking away from God, living in ways that were completely displeasing to God, but King Josiah came and he was a godly king and he instituted all sorts of reforms that drew the people back to a right worship with God. But Habakkuk's complaint, the thing that burdens his heart, is that once again, after King Josiah has has moved on and there is a new king, that the nation of Judah has again walked away from God. They're worshiping other gods. And he describes them this way. He says that they are participating regularly in such evils, such as violence and injustice against each other. And that all throughout the land, there was constant strife, constant hardship, where people were, were showing each other a lack of love on a continual basis. And God's people had completely abandoned not only their love for God, but also their love for each other. 
And so Habakkuk cries out to the Lord, as we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 2, which I believe is probably one of the most poignant verses as we seek to understand what is taking place. And Habakkuk says these words, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear me? Or shall I cry out to you violence, and you will not save? Now, when Habakkuk cries out to God in this way, and he says, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? What I want you to see, and you can write this in your notes, letter A, is that it's not that God doesn't hear, like physically or audibly hear. Let me give you an example. Uh, It was a few months ago with one of my kids. I won't out which one of them it was, but uh, one of my kids was upstairs doing their thing, and I can remember being downstairs calling out to them and saying, hey, I need you to come downstairs and help me with something. And no matter how many times I called their name, I was met with nothing but silence. Anybody here have kids ever experienced this, right? Right? And, and I'm thinking to myself, I know that they can hear me. I have a rather booming voice, right? I, I know that they can hear me. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is going on? And I get this idea. Let me try it. Let me try a different way. Hey, do you want to go get Starbucks? And I heard feet move so quickly, running out of a room to the front, coming down the stairs. And, and, and I'm just like, wow, we call that selective hearing in my, in my household, right? And so when they got to the bottom of the stairs, I said, I was just kidding. But now I have a lot of chores for you to do. So, um, yes, I'm a mean father. You'll learn that. Um, but... What I want you to see here is this, is that the Hebrew word that's used here for hear actually implies more than just simple hearing. Habakkuk isn't accusing God of being unable to hear. He's not accusing God of selective hearing or even of being unwilling to listen. What this Hebrew word, though, meant was not only hear, but also to respond. It's the lack of response that actually is getting to Habakkuk. And the verse implies that Habakkuk has been crying out to God for quite some time about the evils that he is seeing amongst God's people in Judah and asking for God to respond. And he knows that God hears him, but there isn't a response that is coming. He's been met with nothing but silence. You see, it's not that God doesn't hear, but let her be that God appears to be silent You see, the truth is, and you know this is true as well, is that when we are calling out to someone, we expect an answer. Yesterday, uh, while Rochelle was at work, and I think Garrett was playing baseball, my daughter Riley, who is out with the high school students uh, right now on their winter retreat, uh, they were all gone. It was just Gracie and I at home together. And when I got up, I said, hey, Gracie, uh, you know, in just a little bit, I need you to be ready because we're going to be going to get an oil change in our cars. uh, And so make sure that you get ready. So I went about and I started doing my thing. I started getting ready. And about the time that I was ready to go, I walked out and Gracie was upstairs in her room and I yelled up to her from the bottom floor and said, hey, it's time to go. And she's like, you want me to go with you? I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, right? She hasn't done a thing. And I'm like, hey, nobody's here but you and me. You wanna stay home alone? And of course her answer was like, absolutely not. So she starts scurrying around in her room and I hear her go, I'll just need a couple minutes. You know, and so she starts trying to get ready and I think to myself, I'm gonna teach this girl a lesson. So I start walking towards the back door 
And I yell, Gracie, I, you, you cannot do this. You, I asked you to be ready. You knew you needed to go. I am leaving. You're either coming or you're staying home. And I grab the back door. I open it up and I slam it shut. And then I just sit there. And I don't move. And you know what happens, right? Just a couple seconds later, what do I hear? Dad? And I'm not moving. I'm looking at the dog going, if you sell me out, you're going to the pound, right? <laughs> a few more seconds later, Dad! And I know what you're thinking. You're like, you are a horrible father. <laughs> and you're right. I'm going to ask forgiveness later. But... As I'm sitting there, then in silence, I hear her feet begin to move towards the stairs. And when I think that she's going to break and she's going to begin to go in a panic, I hear her yell out in her most snarky voice possible, I know you're in the house. <laughs> uh, and I, I bust out laughing, you know, and the, the, whole, the whole moment falls, falls apart. That's, that's my Gracie for you. But here's the deal. When we're calling out to someone, we expect an answer especially when we know that they're present. In our own experience as followers of Christ, when we call out to God, we expect him to answer to us. And when it doesn't come, much like Habakkuk, it can actually be very easy to accuse God of wrongdoing. You see, let her see in your notes, this is Habakkuk's thing. In this, Habakkuk makes an accusation of injustice. The problem that he had resided in the fact of what he knew to be true about who God was. He knew the great Old Testament passage that would have been taught and passed through all of the generations that taught these things, that the Lord was a compassionate and gracious God, that he was slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and the fourth generation. You see, this passage from Exodus it would have given the fullest description in the Old Testament of the holy God of Israel. And what Habakkuk understood is the situation that he was in in that exact moment called for intervention from the divine judge to respond, the divine judge who always guaranteed justice for his people and in the world. So how could this holy, pure God leave the guilty in Judah and Jerusalem unpunished? How could God continue to turn a deaf ear to Habakkuk's complaints? The sorrow that he felt on account of what he had seen had not been alleviated at all by any evidence of God's care or concern, God was silent. And really, letter D, Habakkuk is saying what we often say when we walk through the difficult winter seasons of our own life. Why are you allowing this? Would you explain yourself to me? And hopefully, from what we looked at last week together, you will understand that Habakkuk stands in solidarity with all of those people, you and me, but with all people who pray for peace but only experience war. He stands in unity with those who pray for God's good to come on the earth and yet seem to only experience human evil. He stands in solidarity with people 
who kneel beside a sick bed asking for healing only to be confronted with death. He stands in solidarity with those who pray for love to come into a home or a marriage, but are finding only hatred and anger. He stands in solidarity with those who pray for serenity and yet only continue to experience further disturbance or anxiety or anxiousness in their life. God, where are you when I cry out? The next point you'll see, though, is that God answers as we continue into verse 5. And I was talking to our team upstairs before the first service this morning as we were going through the slides, making sure everything was in the right order. And one of them looked at me and was like, why didn't you get to the point of God answering last week, right? And the reason is because often, and I think Steve explained this so well to us, so often we want to move past the difficult and in our lives get everything tied up with a really nice, neat bow without going through the difficulty of seasons of lament. And here's why, is because that's what our lives are like. All of us experience seasons that are painful and difficult and lonely and seasons where maybe even we feel like God isn't speaking or we can't hear God. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is to allow ourselves to not quickly move through those seasons, but to truly lament and to cry out to God. But even in the midst of that, God always answers in his time and in his way. And for Habakkuk, as we look into verse five together this morning, you'll see that God answers, but he doesn't give him the why. He doesn't tell him why. Rather, God reveals something even deeper than the question that Habakkuk was answering. If you look at verse 5, we're going to look at uh, Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11 together, but just verse 5, God speaks and says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if told. You see, what happens here, letter A in your notes, is this, is that God reminds Habakkuk of who he is. As Habakkuk is wrestling and saying, where are you, God? Why are you not responding? Rather than answering the question, God says, hey, look at the nations. Look and see. Wonder and be astounded. Because I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. As God reminds Habakkuk, he remind, the first thing he reminds him of is of who he is. And it's really subtle. It's actually really easy to miss if you're not careful. There are other places, though, in the Old Testament where uh, God makes himself way more abundantly clear when somebody comes with an accusation of injustice. Steve mentioned Job last week, and Job is one of those people. You know, in, in the Old Testament, Job had all of those horrible things that took place in his life, and it seemed as though God was silent. He didn't know why God was doing what he was doing, and so he accuses him of injustice. And I want you to listen to God's response to Job, because it's similar, but it goes way deeper. Listen to these words that God says to Job. He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. If you ever accuse God of injustice and he says that to you, can I encourage you to zip it and sit down? 
But what follows in Job 38, 39, 40, to me, even though God is really doing what I call laying the smackdown on Job, is probably one of the kindest, most loving things he could have done in that moment. Listen to the words that God says. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. And for the next couple of chapters, God continues to go on and on, revealing his incredible power and reminding Job of just how powerful he is in being in control of all things under heaven and under earth. Not subtle at all. But when we get to this passage here with Habakkuk, as he accuses God of some sort of injustice and questions him, the subtle answer that God gives really is also very kind. And he says to him, look among the nations and see. I am doing a work. Essentially what God reminds Habakkuk is this, is he says, I am the one who is in control of everything in this world, especially all kings and all kingdoms, that there is nothing that happens outside of my hand allowing it. I am fully in control. And to be honest with you, when I look at the world today, this is probably one of the most comforting truths that I know to be true about who God is and that can give me incredible peace. Because when you look at the world today and you read the news, one of the things that you see is that our world today is full of chaos. Amen? Everywhere you look, there is war, there is evil of every forms, hatred, anger, violence like we, our eyes have never seen. It is horrid when we look at what is taking place all across the globe, it seems, in every single country of the world. You know, last Sunday, uh, I was watching this with my father on live stream, the service here, as Steve was talking and when the service ended, we were talking about the message and about this section of Habakkuk. And my dad made this comment to me. He said, you know, Rob, really the first four verses of Habakkuk could easily be written in our world today. What we see happening in our world is what life looks like when God lifts his hand of blessing. There is trouble everywhere and no one has the answers to fix it. But here's the deal. 
as Habakkuk is wrestling with this truth as well, not only does God say to him, have faith, I am in control, but he also says, watch what I am already doing. In letter B, what we see is that God reveals that he has already been at work, that he has already been at work. On one hand, this must have been incredibly comforting to Habakkuk. For him to think and to hear God say, hey, look, look and see. Look at the nations, right? I'm not deaf. You're just a little bit blind. Look, open up your eyes and see something. It's going to astound you. It's going to be amazing. I am already at work. Habakkuk must have been like, oh, good. God's working. I can rest just a little bit. But here's the problem. Not only on one hand would it have been comforting, but what God actually shares with him would have been incredibly frightening for Habakkuk as well. Look with me at what God continues to say in chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, as he begins to reveal his plan of what he is at work doing. He says these words, beginning in verse 6. He says, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like the sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh, and they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This was not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for from the Lord. Can you imagine the astonishment? As what God begins to do is reveal to Habakkuk that he has heard his cry, that he is already working, but that he is going to use an incredibly wicked nation to punish his people in Judah, who though they are more righteous than the Babylonians that God is raising up to punish them, he is using this horribly wicked nation to punish the wickedness that is taking place within Judah. This is not what Habakkuk would have wanted to hear. And you're going to see next week as we dive into this, this creates a whole other set of questions for Habakkuk with the Lord. But before we get to that, think about what God says. He's going to be raising up a nation to punish Judah, the Babylonians. And he describes them in this way. He says that they are bitter and they are hasty. He says that they march through the breadth of the earth, taking dwellings that are not their own. They are bent on conquest at any expense. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than wolves. They come looking for violence. They gather captives like the sand. They drag people off into exile. And then they scoff and they laugh at the kings and kingdoms of the earth. Get this, coming in and trying to conquer Jerusalem would have been no small feat. Jerusalem was a very well-fortified city. But the Babylonians had such a powerful ministry or uh, military and had developed such powerful techniques and tools already that it would have been very easy for them to come upon Jerusalem to build siege ramps and to overtake the people. 
And thus they laughed at the kings and kingdoms of the earth. And it says that their might was their God. Their own personal strength was the thing that they worshiped. They were bent on worshiping themselves. And God is going to use this wicked people to judge his own people. He's going to judge wicked Judah with a nation that is even more wicked than they are. And what God reveals, let us see, is this, is that God reveals my ways are higher than your ways. This is not what Habakkuk would have expected. And I can guarantee you, as you'll see next week, he did not like the answer. But God is revealing to him, my ways are higher than your ways. And I find that this is something that we wrestle with in our own lives, especially in the winter seasons of our lives. When we go through difficult seasons, there is a typical equation that we typically use, and it's this. I have a problem. There's an easy solution. I've figured it out. God loves me. Therefore, God is going to do things my way. And we expect that things will happen that way, but when they don't, we begin to question God. Here's the thing, though. The only thing this equation doesn't take into account, or, or I'm sorry, the only thing this equation does take into account is what? What I want. And it ignores what God may and is already at work accomplishing and that he wants to bring completion in our lives and in the lives of other people. You know, God's ultimate purpose wasn't just to punish the wicked in Israel and Judah. He wasn't just looking to punish them and leave it at that, even though that is what they fully deserved. But God's purpose was their ultimate purification. God's purpose was to teach them to once again begin depending upon him rather than rejecting him. God's purpose was the preservation of his promise to Abraham that we have talked about together for weeks You see, what God was at work doing was not just looking at the situation that was right in front of them, but God was looking at the whole of history, also remembering his promise that he made to Abraham that one day a great nation would come from his line that would consistently have kings on the throne of the kingdom, and that one day from this great nation would come a person, a king, a ruler, who would be a blessing to the entire world. And what I want you to see and to understand is that God's purpose was their purification, that they would again learn to depend on him, but to preserve this promise, which could only be accomplished if God's people were awakened from their sleep. In this, letter D, what we see is that in God's providential care, he will direct all things to their perfect conclusion with wisdom with justice and love that is far beyond our comprehension. If I were to steal one line from our previous series that we did together entitled Nearsighted, it would be this. God, I'm sorry, we see now, but God sees next. We get so focused on the immediate pressures and immediate difficulties, and we forget that we serve a God that sees the whole of human history from beginning 
to end. He sees all of eternity, and he is literally working, writing the story of our lives, creating the tapestry of history, weaving it all together to accomplish his purposes, to not only bring about the greatest good in our lives, but the greatest good in the lives of others. But not just for the moment, but for the purposes of eternity. And when we begin and learn this truth, it is then that we can begin to understand how to navigate the winter difficult seasons of our life, even when God seems silent. So, how can we learn in the winter seasons of our lives how to embrace God's wisdom, God's justice, and his love? How can we embrace God's wisdom, justice, and love in the winter, dark, difficult, silent seasons of life? Here's where I believe it begins. Letter A is that it is important for us to wrestle with the question of why God is silent. And maybe you're here this morning and you're walking through one of these seasons where you've been questioning, God, where are you? Or maybe it's a season past and you still haven't gotten your answer and you're wrestling with God over this. But you're saying, God, where are you? Why would you allow this to happen? Why are you not speaking to me? Why can I not hear you? I believe it's important for us to wrestle with this question. It's the question that Habakkuk asked, but that God didn't ultimately answer. You know, a good friend asked me this question just a few weeks ago. Why is God silent? And I want to confess to you that I had a really hard time giving them an answer. Because we can often, we often cannot know that answer until we have moved through the season that God is walking us through. And all of us walk through different seasons with different experiences where God is accomplishing different purposes. But what we also call God's silence may actually be our inability and in some cases, our own unwillingness to hear him. I want you to think about some various reasons why God may be silent. God's silence can be because of sin that separates us from him. Why do we experience God's silence in the first place? Because mankind chose to reject God, entertained and, and embraced sin against God, and it brought separation from the Garden of Eden all the way through our lives today. Sin brings brokenness and separation between us and God. There are times in our life where we, God is silent because there is some type of sin that we are holding on to. But I want to be very careful here because I don't want you to think that all silence is because there's something wrong between you and God. Remember in the book of Job, his friends? Job's friends were constantly telling him, Job, you've done something wrong. And Job's like, no, dude, I'm righteous. Like, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't get it. And that's why he was feeling this sense of injustice. Sometimes we easily go to, oh, I'm going through this because because I've done something bad and God is punishing me. Silence with God can happen because of sin, but that is not the only reason. It's not the thing that we should just jump to. But I want you to see as well that sometimes when God is silent, it's because of our unwillingness to accept that he wants something different from us. Sometimes God's silence is because we are so fixated on our answer that we think is right for the given situation that when God answers differently, we go, I can't hear him because he's not giving me what I'm looking for. Sometimes God's silence can come because we are so overwhelmed by sorrow and grief and the many questions that come into our mind that we don't allow ourselves to see 
to hear or to even feel him. One thing I want you to hear this morning and remember, especially as you walk through those types of seasons in your life where you're experiencing deep grief or deep sorrow, is that though it may feel like God is silent, God is never truly silent because God has spoken to us in his word. God has spoken to us through his very word, revealing to us his character, who he is, how deeply he loves us, and we can turn to him there to hear his voice. Sometimes God's silence is because the chaos of this world and our lives is drowning out his voice, and one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Psalms is the one that says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we can't hear God because we can't figure out how to be still and listen. Sometimes, there are many different reasons. Sometimes we're so focused on the desire for a feeling that we forget that what he has already spoken in his word and promised us. There can be a litany of reasons why we don't hear God. But I will tell you, it can be hard for us to determine, as I said, until we have walked that difficult road with him to understand what he is seeking to accomplish in our lives. But I will tell you this morning, that I have learned in my own life, when God is silent, that at all times, his silence is serving a very distinct purpose. And one of those things is this, letter B, that winter's strength is that things need to die. In the winter seasons of our life, things need to die. And God uses this and purposes this. In winter, the leaves fall from the trees and they die. The flowers, the bushes, the shrubs, even the grass of the field experience a death. But that death is needed so that when springtime comes, there can be rebirth and renewal. And many times, the Lord is using the winter seasons of our lives to allow things to die so that he can bring rebirth and renewal in us, literally strengthening the foundation of our faith, shaving away things that get in the way of our growth and deepening in our trust in God. Winter strength is that things need to die. Let her see, as I have found in the winter seasons of life, God is always teaching us. He is always teaching me dependence. Will I depend upon him? Trusting God when we don't hear him ultimately strengthens and purifies us. If our faith is based on a lack of struggle or or a lack of affliction, it finds itself on what we would call sandy or an unstable ground. It's a foundation that cannot last. And it's this type of faith that is only one frightening diagnosis or horrible phone call away from complete collapse. But God purposes the winter seasons of our life to teach us to depend on him. And often he does it in silence but reminding us consistently of who he is. You know, I did what Steve asked us to do last week is I took some time this past week to just look back in my life at my own seasons of lament and difficulty, the winter seasons of my life. And there have been many of them, many times that have been difficult, that have been lonely, that have been painful, that have been filled with sorrow and grief, 
And many of those seasons of my own life personally, maybe you can relate, were filled with moments where I didn't feel like I could hear the voice of God. I would call out and I would cry out much like Habakkuk, God, where are you? Why can't I hear you? Why won't you speak to me? Why won't you answer me? Why won't you move? Why won't you cause this whole situation to go away? It makes perfect sense. And yet, met with silence. I've shared so many of these examples with you over our time together over the years. Times where my sister, when I was in high school, told us that she was pregnant out of high school, which racked our conservative Christian family. And as painful and difficult of a season as that was, God was using that season to teach me about the depth of his love, but also the depth of his redemptive power. And I watched it take place in my family's life. I can remember when Rochelle and I, when we took my, a job back at my home church in California, my second job as a youth pastor, it was only two weeks in that the pastor announced that he was divorced, he and his wife were getting a divorce, and uh, it proceeded to split the church in half, and I'm watching these people fighting back and forth within the church, treating people in ways that was not right, and we had gone on a vacation. I remember us sitting on a wave runner out in the middle of a lake, alone by ourselves, and I remember just saying, like, why is God letting this happen? Where, why would he let us walk into this situation? Where is God in the middle of this, and what, what did I want to do? What most of us would do. I wanted to run. Maybe we should just leave. But you know what God taught me in that difficult season is that God taught me the importance of trusting his plans and not jumping ship when things get hard, but trusting and following in his plans and purposes. I've shared with you before that the most difficult season of my life was when I came back from Cambodia and was mysteriously sick for over a year. And I want to tell you that that was one of the most silent times in my life with God going from doctor to doctor, having every test you can think of, some people saying you've got an infectious disease, other doctors saying you've got cancer, like across the board, and yet I'm still dealing daily with these issues for over a year, and I can remember at one point in the middle of that, going out in the middle of the workday to El Dorado Park and sitting on a park bench, and as I sat there, I just cried out to God. I was like, God, where are you? Why would you let this happen? I've got a young family. I was serving you overseas doing missions work. Why are you not answering me? And as much as I called out to him, it was silent. And it, as I sat there in the silence, if I'm completely honest with you, it felt incredibly cruel of God. Where are you but I will tell you this morning that as I look back on that season of my life that was so painful for me and painful for my family, God taught me some of the most important lessons of my life. He taught me to value eternity more than my physical life. He taught me that eternity was more important than life, that death was not something to be feared, but that I could trust him. And he began to break all of the strangleholds that I had and fear that I lived with of losing the things of this world that I was gripping to. And I can tell you time and time again of so many other circumstances that we have walked through, 
From losing my job in California to Gracie having seizures as a baby, moving to Ohio, leaving everything behind. And I will tell you that as I looked at this last week and I lamented and I went through each of these things, I felt the brokenness that I felt and I allowed myself to sit in that place. I can tell you with 100% assurity, I would never go back and change a thing. Maybe I would change how I responded. Maybe I would change some of the accusations I brought against God. But I want to tell you, I would walk through it all again. Do you know why? Because I can look back now, having walked through those seasons with God, and see exactly what it was that he was doing. And his plans have always been perfect in my life, no matter how hard they were. Because I learned that my confidence in Christ today is far stronger than it ever would have been if I had not walked through those seasons. Because he has given me a testimony in my life to walk with people that are hurting in the same ways and to encourage them and to point them to him and to say, you can trust in who he is, just keep going. But also because he taught me that even when I don't feel like when I can hear him, My greatest confidence doesn't come from a feeling, but in knowing that he loves me and that he is for me and that he is working out all things for the greatest good in my life. And I want you to hear this morning, no matter what season you are walking through, that he has proven this to us over and over and over again by sending his son Jesus into this world to die on a cross for us. We need nothing more to understand the depth of God's love and his commitment to us. No matter what season we're walking through, even if it feels like we can't hear it, never forget the depth of God's love for you and how he sent his world, his son into the world to die for your sin. Your sin, the one thing that caused the greatest separation in your relationship with him. It's our fault. And yet, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our rejection of him so that we would not have to suffer the penalty of eternal separation from God, but that we would live with him forever in a perfectly restored relationship where there is no more sin, where for eternity there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more evil and no more silence. If you are here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe you've been walking through a season, a winter season in your own life, a season that has been difficult, that has been painful, where you feel like no matter where you look, there are no answers. I want you to hear clearly this morning that the answer you have been looking for is found in God and his love for you. And if you have come this morning to that place, to the end of yourself, and you recognize that God loves you, I want to give you that opportunity this morning to put your heart and your faith and your trust in him. He has sent his son to die so that you could be restored to him And so that not only can you experience the blessing of walking with him in this life, but you will spend all of eternity with him. And so I invite you this morning to say yes to Jesus. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? If you are, if you're here this morning 
and you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you just to pray this prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud, just in the quietness of your heart. Heavenly Father, I confess to you this morning that I'm a sinner. That in my life I have sinned against you. And that rather than running towards you, I have been running away from you. But this morning I confess and I believe that you sent your son Jesus into this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be restored in a right relationship with you. And I confess that not only do I believe, but today, God, I give you my heart and I surrender my life to you. Thank you for coming into my life. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified as I seek to walk with you. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want you to know that the God's word tells us that there's nothing magical about a prayer like that, but really it's the commitment of our hearts to God. And if we place our faith and trust in him, we can be assured that we have received the gift of salvation, that one day we will spend eternity with God, and that gift is yours today. And I want to invite you that if you prayed that prayer, at some point before you leave today, would you take a connection card that's in the pew in front of you and just simply write your name and email address and the words, I said yes. You can drop it in the buckets when other people are dropping their prayer requests in. Nobody's got to know. But I would love to send you a Bible to help you as you begin this journey of walking with God. And I would love the opportunity to just encourage you and walk with you as you begin this journey. But it is the most important decision that you could ever make as we walk through a broken world that is proving every single day that it cannot solve our problems. There is one who can, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why I'd also say to you today, those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ and have given your heart to him, you may be walking through one of those dark seasons, a winter season of your life, where you feel that God is silent. But please do not forget that every single day he is speaking to you through his word and he is reminding you and proving to you the depth of his love for you and that he is for you and that he wants the best good for your life. I can think of no better way for us to remember that than by taking communion together. If you have your elements, I'd encourage you to pull them out. We have some ushers that'll come up and down the aisles. If you don't have any communion elements, just slip up your hand and uh, they can help you and, uh, and bring those to you. So if we can get a couple of ushers here on the bottom floor to help with that. No better way to be encouraged this morning to remember how much God is for us. And so as we take time to take communion together, would you just pause with me in a moment of silence and pray and let's worship God and give thanks for all that he has done in sending his son Jesus into this world to die on a cross for our sin. Pour out your heart to him in silent worship as you pray.
God's word tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed by one of his close disciples, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering how much God loves you that he gave his son to give his life so that you could be with him. Let's take together. The Apostle Paul continues and says in the same way, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. A reminder that not only did the blood of Jesus pay the price and penalty for our sin, but it is a reminder to us that one day he will come again and restore all things that are broken. Let's take together. Lord, we, uh, we give you thanks. We confess to you that this life can be hard. Some of the seasons that we walk through, God, are so painful because of the brokenness that is not only happening all around us in the world, but because of some of the brokenness that is happening in our very lives. And in honesty, we confess to you, Lord, that it often leaves us in a place of questioning you. God, where are you? Why don't you hear me? Why aren't you moving? Why, why can I not hear you? But I thank you, Lord, for how through the prophet Habakkuk, we come to an understanding that, God, you are not absent. That, God, you do hear. And that, God, you are already working. But that, God, even in the silence, you are accomplishing your purposes in our lives and that there are times, God, where we're using these silent moments in our lives to allow certain things to die that are in the way of our faith growing in you. And so, God, I just pray that in your graciousness as we walk through these difficult seasons of life that we would never lose our hope. Remind us, God, that you continually speak to us through your word, reminding us of who you are, reminding us, God, of what you have already done for us and reminding us of the depth of your love and your desire to pour out good in our lives. And in that, God, give us confidence as we walk each day and each season with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know. 
You know, church family, one of the things I also love about this church is that we have got an awesome prayer team, and our prayer team members are going to be here at the front on both sides uh, here at the close of our service, and if there are any needs that you have for prayer, for healing, maybe you're walking through one of those dark seasons right now, and you just want somebody to talk to and to pray with and that would encourage you, we'd invite you to come at the close of our service. You can pray here. You can head over to our prayer room as well and pray there, but we would love that opportunity to pray with you this morning. As well, I would remind you, if you are new uh, here to Westgate, we are having our uh, new people party. It'll be starting in just a few minutes across the uh, atrium in the refinery. Again, if you didn't sign up still, please come join us. We would love that chance to have lunch with you and get the opportunity to know you a little bit better. And church family, as you go out and you serve the Lord this week, go out in the confidence of who God is and how he has revealed himself and his character and his love and that he is for you. And allow that to not only encourage you, no matter what season of life you may be walking through, but allow it to be the thing you use as well to encourage others around you and to share them with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So God bless you and have a great week serving Jesus.